0: Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. going to guide you gently through another show. I'm the editorial director over here at PR Week. And uh, yeah, we've got a great guest this week. We've got Anne Buchanan, who's the president of Buchanan PR and regional vice president for the Americas of the Public Relations Global Network, an independent agency network. So looking forward to finding out more about your agency, Anne, and also the PRGN. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Steve. I'm delighted to be here.
1: Yeah, looking forward to chatting. And as always, we have my regular co-presenter, Frank Washgood, executive editor of PR Week. How are you doing, Frank?
2: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on this week.
1: Busy week for us this week, wasn't it, with the agency business report launching on Tuesday, and um, that's always a massive lift, So, uh, but uh, loads of interesting content in there, and we'll definitely get to talk about some of those trends.
2: Definitely, and uh, that doesn't mean the rest of the week slowed down in the outside world, too. We've got a busy week in terms of news stories happening as well.
1: Yeah, always on. The PR Week News, Desk, 24-7, always on, bringing you the best stories and the best content. All right, Anne, let's get into uh, chatting about uh, Buchanan PR. You're based in Philadelphia. Um, tell us a bit about the firm and what sort of areas you specialize in and what sort of work you do.
0: Sure. Thank you. We are based in Philadelphia. We've been in business nearly 25 years And we have a nice balance of clients in both the B2B and the B2C side. We do a tremendous amount of top tier media relations for our clients who'd like to be in um, uh, major media. And we also do a lot of crisis communications work as well as social and digital.
1: And do your clients tend to be from the Philadelphia area or are you working with um, national clients and international? I guess that partly relates to your uh, presence in the PRDN, but uh, just just wanted to get a perspective on that.
0: Yes, that's right. Uh, most of our clients do have a headquarters presence in the Philadelphia region, but they tend to be doing business uh, across the U.S. and in some cases around the world so, yes, the membership in the PRGN is a wonderful extension of, of uh, our base here in Philadelphia.
1: And I've got to ask you the really big question. Is it Pat's or Jim's for the best Philly cheesesteak? Do, you, <laughs> do you neutral on that one?
0: I personally think you can't go wrong with either, Steve. Um, but uh, you, you probably need to take a long walk through Philadelphia to work off whichever one you eat. They're both delicious. <laughs>
1: Get up those rocky steps, yeah? Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, for sure. Um, Tell us how the last year has been. Obviously, you know, we've been talking about this uh, to a lot of people and um, unprecedented year, big challenges. PR industry really did step up. That's what our agency report showed us. But how was it for you, your agency, your people, and for the Philadelphia market in particular?
0: Yes, um, this has been a year like no other, And for those of us who are of a certain age, you will appreciate what I'm about to say when I tell you that I thought surviving the 08-09 recession was going to be the hardest thing I ever had to do as an agency owner. And then along came the pandemic and taught us all otherwise. Um, What we saw, which caught me a little bit by surprise, was that some of our largest clients were the quickest to start tapping the brakes on their PR program. I had thought it would be just the opposite, but I think they intuitively knew what was coming. And until they could get their arms around the financial implications of the looming pandemic, a lot of them wanted to pause their PR just until they got their ducks in order. So we did suffer a little bit of a pause um, over the first month or two while, while brands were trying to figure out what they wanted to do. Uh, But toward the end of the year, things started picking up in a way that made many of us, and I can say this because I talked to a lot of the PR agency owners in PRGN across the states, many of us headed into 2021 feeling that we were probably through the worst of it and that a lot of our clients were either going to be coming back or we were even going to be picking up new business, which has proved to be the case.
1: Yeah, that's good to hear. I think the, the... The, uh, the sector really was resilient wasn't it and has bounced back this year but uh, after some real trials and hardships how about your people how did you survive how many people have you got and and you know how has the working from home experience been for them
0: yes yes so we've got about a dozen people and um i i think i did what every business owner did around the middle of march everybody we got the orders from the governor we packed everything up and i think We all assumed we'd be back in the office in a matter of weeks, maybe a couple months. Well, here we are, flash forward over a year later, and um, I would say I've been just stunned by how well people have responded to working from home, Uh, but the corollary to that is I think we're all very weary of this. It's It's a hard way to run a business. It's a hard way to collaborate with one another. And I think we are not alone in saying we are looking forward to coming back on some basis as soon as the last of our team gets gets their vaccines.
1: Yeah, you're right. It's it is exhausting because you you, sit, you sort of roll out of bed and sit down to work, and you you're still there into the evening, aren't you? And it, whilst nobody misses the commute, you, at least that was kind of personal time. And um, I think we've had to. It's been difficult to have boundaries, and especially when you couldn't really go out anyway, you know, because of the restrictions. So I think it has been exhausting. Um, Let's talk a bit about the PRGN, the Public Relations Global Network. You're the RVP, Regional Vice President for the Americas. First of all, just tell us about the PRGN, what it is and what its purpose is.
0: Sure. We have uh, 51 members around the globe, and these are all independently owned and operated PR firms that are invited into the network by invitation only. We have about 20 members here in the U.S., and the rest are scattered around the globe. And we are coming up on our 30th anniversary next year. It's hard to believe it, but we've been at this for almost three decades. And we actually were born... Nearly 30 years ago, when Edelman disbanded its affiliate network, and a number of us decided we would try to stay connected because we had so enjoyed um, interacting and collaborating with the other members. So we had our inaugural meeting in Phoenix nearly 30 years ago, and we will actually be meeting next year in Phoenix to mark that austere occasion. And from that, we just, we started adding agencies throughout the U S and then we be- began expanding internationally. And as I said, we've now got, um, affiliates all around the globe. And it just gives us a tremendous opportunity to, to amplify our own teams as well as to have access to resources in markets that our clients might be entering.
1: Yeah, I didn't actually know that. That was the former Edelman affiliate networks. That's really interesting. And you've got about, I think you've got about 800 people around the globe across all the agencies and maybe a couple of hundred in the US. The idea, I I guess, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that if an agency like yourselves gets a client where you need some work in another part of the country or another part of the work world, you can work with one of the network members and then vice versa, if they're looking for work, where you are regionally or, or in your expertise areas, they can come to you. Is that is that pretty much how it
0: works? Yes, that's part of it, Steve. But it actually goes deeper than that. We have actually gotten to a point now where we lean on one another to expand our teams. Because as you all know, firsthand, the war for talent these days is incredibly tough. And when we find we've got an influx of business, and we need more bandwidth from a team that we can't stretch anything more out of, the first thing I do is pick up the phone and call one of the affiliates we've worked with before because they may be at a slower spot or they may have someone they can lend to us. And if nothing else this year has taught us, clients don't really care where you're based as long as you're putting together a really strong team. So we've been able to pull from one another's teams, and it kind of helps round out those of us who are having a slow period and then supplementing those who need some extra support. So in addition to what you just mentioned, being able to have support in foreign uh, locations, we can also share business back and forth in our home country as well.
1: And are there some agencies that you tend to build stronger relationships with and work with more just because of the type of people they are or the type of work they do? Or is it very much Every member has to be up to, a, well, I, I know they have to be up to a certain standard, but they, they all have to be people that he would be very happy working with and do.
0: Yes, it's actually a little bit of both. But I will say there are uh, firms in the network that have a client base that is similar to ours and they have a similar operating style. And we, we admire and like each other so much that they're a natural to tap if we need some support. On the other hand, you know, we've got a couple agencies that specialize. We've got one in Detroit that is primarily an automotive PR firm. So if an opportunity comes up for something with, um, you know, electric cars, that's the first person we call. So it works both ways.
1: Yeah, it's a fascinating model. And I guess... Is it really for people who don't particularly want to get acquired? I mean, I guess a lot of the agencies have had approaches over the years from the holding companies and, you know, uh, may have had that opportunity, but they actually prefer the independence. Is that the, is that the sort of advantage that you can still get the scale, but you, don't, you retain the independence of thought and operation?
0: I suspect that's part of it, Steve. We have a handful of members who started their own firms after leaving one of the big global agencies. And while I think they had a wonderful experience there, I think they would just like to have a little more control over how they grow and service their client base. Um, and because we have one another, we, we can amplify each other and, and it feels like we're, we're larger than many of us actually are.
1: Give us an example and just to finish of, of a piece of work or a piece of activation that uh, really sums up the, the value of the network, you know, that really brings it to life for our listeners.
0: Sure. Um, we are partnering right now um, with our affiliate in Boston. Uh, they have a wonderful healthcare client. And we happen to have on our staff a VP who came out of two hospital health care systems And she had some extra time. So she has joined their team as a virtual member and she's able to do some top tier pitching and writing because she knows that space so well. And she's able to augment a team that just needed a little extra oomph and a little, another member on their team. So stuff like that happens all the time in the network.
1: Uh, That's interesting. So flexing up and down, that's uh, that's an element I haven't really considered before. Well, that's good stuff. And it's great to hear, um, Anything more about the anniversary? Are you going to be the regional vice president leading up to the anniversary year, or is it an annual thing? How's that going to work?
0: Um, It's my understanding that I will probably be in this role next year, and we're we're starting to do our planning. As I said, we'll be back in Phoenix next year, and it will be the first time in two years that we've all been together. So everyone is, (laughs) people are very hungry to have some face-to-face time with one another. We're a little tired of doing it only by Zoom.
1: So as the old song goes, by the time you get to Phoenix, everybody's going to be very very ready for a catch-up for sure, aren't they?
0: Yes, indeed.
1: (laughs) All right, great stuff, Anne. Look forward to uh, hearing your thoughts on the stories we're going to talk about this week. Frank, um, we we mentioned the agency business reports, the biggest chunk of content PR Week does on an annual basis. All the numbers, all the trends, the analysis, the deep dives, infographics, profiles, what were the top line findings for you that came out of this year's report?
2: Well, I I think like a lot of our readers and, uh, you know, our traffic stats back this up, but uh, love looking at the rankings table every year uh, and seeing the numbers and seeing who performed well and, you know, who's looking forward to a better year uh, next year, shall we say. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a bit of a horse race at the top of, the list now with uh, you know Weber with not that far away from Edelman, uh, but in terms of the deeper dive stuff from the ABR this year, uh, I worked on the client feature, which is about what clients were looking for from agencies last year. And if there was one theme with pretty much everybody I talked to, it was the you know the, this deeper leaning on longtime agency partners for important counsel. For uh, in-depth experience, looking for people who have been around the block a few times, and even though nobody had experience quite like this dealing with the pandemic, with the ramifications that uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic had, having a wealth of experience dealing with a lot of issues, who might be able to see around the corner the best uh, with all of the unknowns that that happened last year, and there were so many of them.
1: Yeah, that is a good piece. Actually, I recommend everyone checks that out—the client piece uh, that Frank put together—and yeah, it's a great feature you did there, Frank. And um, obviously, the clients are the people who drive all this, aren't they? So (laughs) you know, they're paying the bills at the end of the day. I think it was interesting to see the overall numbers actually. And in the U.S., uh, the total was actually up two percent, and it was up three percent on in the top. Fifty agencies. Which, if you think about it, that's pretty incredible. I think it bounced it's back. It's pretty
2: remarkable, forth,
1: isn't it? Um, yeah, just the way, okay. way the sector really stepped up.
2: And you know, anecdotally, just from talking to people out there, uh, you, you hear it time and time again that last year was was the time to demonstrate your value and what you bring to the table if you're uh, if you're an agency executive or if you are working in house i mean it was it was more than a time to shine it was more that you you were a, a really valuable member of an organization as they were trying to figure things out
1: yeah for sure it was globally it was it was level it was absolutely level so us did better but i think um agencies really stepped up and showed what they could do the value they could add in healthcare in crisis reputation employee engagement was a big growth area as people looked after their people and it did i mean you know it did show uh, globally staff was down 3% staff numbers yet revenues were the same so i'm afraid that Effectively, there were fewer people doing the same amount of work. And, you know, sadly, people were furloughed or or lost their jobs. But that, but that, that I guess, is uh, the function of a recession, especially an extraordinary one like that. Um, in uh, the U.S., staff numbers were across the board were level and they were up 2 percent in the top 50. And th- I'd love to get your view on this, Anne. The top 50 firms actually now make up 87 percent of billings and that's going up. So it's interesting in the context of that agencies like yourselves and the PRGN, it does seem that the bigger are getting bigger and taking a bigger and bigger slice of the pie. I guess that means that the role of the, the networks uh, like PRGN is even more important.
0: Yes, I would agree with that, Steve. The thing we seem to find is that sometimes the servicing piece can be stronger when you use a local agency and then amplify it with the network backing it up. I think sometimes um, clients we pick up who've had experiences with global agencies are sometimes a little stung by either servicing or lack of attention, um, and we've been able to, to fill that void quite well.
1: Yeah, for sure, and I think I agree with your point earlier. The clients want senior level um, advice and counsel, and you know, with an agency like yourselves, so I think I'm, I'm I'm imagining all your clients will get your counsel. Whereas if that was a bigger agency, that wouldn't necessarily be the case. So I think they do value that for sure. On the diversity front, Frank, I think um, the the firms are doing very well in terms of gender, and we've seen the numbers for. Women-led offices, for example, you know, many of the agencies like Porto Nivelli, BCW, they're over 60 percent run by uh, women now, which is great, which is getting closer to the number of women in the overall industry, which is usually about 70 percent. Others, not so much. You know, Edelman's still at 30 percent women-led offices. But when you look at ethnic diversity, um, Got to be honest, the leaders are still very much, um, whilst gender has improved there, and in terms of ethnic diversity, there's a long way to go right at the top, isn't there?
2: Yeah, there is. And and I, to their credit, I think a lot of large agency leaders will acknowledge that there has been progress, but not nearly enough progress when it comes to improving the racial and ethnic diversity uh, of their firms. Um, so, you know, look, I, I think we're going to keep pushing the industry to do better on this, you know, to come up with creative ways to solve the problem, um, you know, and to solve the problem at all levels, which is to say, recruiting people who, uh, people from a wide range of backgrounds into an agency uh, at the entry levels, but also recruiting people at the top levels, whether from other industries or other types of businesses, um, into the top ranks of their own agencies.
1: Yeah, and I have to say there needs to be a bit more transparency as well, because uh, whilst we could do the numbers for the C-suites at all the agencies, because they're pretty much in the public domain, when it came to percentage of total workforce that is non-white, and obviously, in the light of the racial reckoning last year, there were big calls for agencies to be more transparent about this and put their numbers out there, um, with I'm thinking the hold the press movement, which... uh, some firms responded to. Weber Shanwick was one of the first to come out and, and they knew that their numbers weren't great, but they actually were honest enough to come out and, and say those numbers. But some firms won't because their holding companies won't let them. And I would just urge the holding companies, and those are Omnicom and WPP, uh, especially Fleishman Hillard, Ketchum and Ogilvy. Those firms would not give us numbers um, citing holding company policies. And I do think that needs to change. I think they need to... Be more transparent. I don't know what you think, Frank.
2: No, I completely agree. I I think that the holding companies, uh, if they're serious about this and and we know their agencies are serious about this because uh, we know a lot of the folks that they've hired from from different uh, racial and ethnic backgrounds we know the firms are serious, but I think it's a shame in a lot of ways that the holding company restricts them in this way and that they can't show the progress that they, they've made and they, they can't really demonstrate, uh, that DEI is, is important to them, not just as a service, but important to them internally as well.
1: Yeah, we had Me Kim on from Omnicom PR Group uh, the other week, and uh, yeah, I think it, it can be frustrating for some of the execs at the agencies that they're restricted by holding company rules. But uh, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, any any final thoughts on the agency report, Frank? There's so much to go through and so many different deep dives and agency profiles to look at for people.
2: Yeah, I would just uh, I would just flag up. Um, I always enjoy the up and comers section. Uh, you know, really get a feel for the different new types of firms that are emerging. Um, you know, you can see on the list mixing board, which is Sean Garrett, you know, veteran of Provana Collective uh, and a bunch of tech sector giants uh, and what he's up to now. But also, you know, new, interesting millennial run shops that are doing different things. Uh, and and I always enjoy that section because it's, it's a little bit offbeat and a little bit of a different pace. And, uh, you know, it's cool to see what those firms are up to.
1: Gen Z run shops, Frank. One of them started a yeah, the business yeah, when he was 13 years old, I think. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> we've got a lot of catch up to play. On the subject of Omnicom, we had uh, their Q1 financials this week as part of the financial season. How did they do?
2: Yeah, so um, Omnicom's PR firms were down 3.5% in the period. Now, that's up against Q1 2020 when the PR group was up 0.2% organically. So basically flat Um, outperformed by advertising and the CRM networks within Omnicom in the quarter, uh, which only saw a global revenue drop of 1.8% in the period. So, um, you know, probably not a quarter that they are thrilled with Uh, looking forward to seeing how the other holding companies, ipg coming up and wpp after that how uh they do as well
1: yeah i mean it was a a a strong comparative because q1 last year was pretty good i think most people started the year well and then it really obviously went downhill in march when covid hit so next if they can't beat next the in q2 if they can't beat their numbers then they really know they're in trouble i think (laughs) it's fair to say and q3 um, but, uh, it was interesting they they did make more money though didn 't they because and obviously it 's not just about revenues it 's about profits and that's right really, that was a thing that came out of the agency report like companies were saving a fortune on, on travel and expenses and they and it 's really made them think about the future right? do we need to spend all this money on those things
2: yeah it 's really rare when you talk to anybody nowadays and they 're saying we 're going to have people back in the office five days a week. Um, and, you know, maybe part of that is, is not just lifestyle driven, but also financially driven. And that, uh, you know, team doesn't need to be together in a workspace all the time.
1: Yeah. And how are you approaching that when you go back? Are you going to change the way the physical space is or is it, uh, for an agency like you, people are just desperate to get back together? Um, what What's your approach going to be?
0: Yes, we own our own building, so we will be coming back. And I think we're probably looking at a hybrid model where we try to come together perhaps three days a week and then staff can have the option of working from home the other two. I can tell you from talking to a lot of our PRGN members here in the States, a fair number of them are actually giving up their formal office. They've either sold a building they owned or they're working their way out of a lease and they're moving to go entirely virtual because I think this last year proved they could do it. I may be a bit of an outlier because I've already got office space that I own, but I I actually hope over time that may, may become a key distinguishing factor that we do have a place where people come together, we can invite clients in. But I have been struck by how many agencies are backing off of having traditional office space and moving to either a shared WeWork sort of situation or going entirely virtual.
1: That's fascinating. That's a really interesting trend and and one that you can see uniquely with your PRGN hat on. So that is interesting. And what about the the holding companies like Omnicom? Do you bump up against them in pitches or are you more fighting against other independent uh, agencies or is it a bit of both?
0: It's probably more of the latter. We tend to run up against regional powerhouse firms. But every now and then we do come up against one of the big global agencies Um, And that's where I think we can step up to the plate with some more personalized service and sometimes being able to take budget a little bit further. Yeah, for
1: sure. All right, Frank, on to the next story. It's about the uh, Derek Chauvin verdict this week in the George Floyd killing. And um, I think brands have been looking to work out how they're going to respond to that. But talk us through it anyway. What what was the reaction to the verdict this week?
2: Yeah. um I think that if you look at the agency responses, they generally fall into the theme of that this is one step, uh, but there's still a lot of work to do to a truly equitable society. And um, everybody, you know, every business has a, a part to play in that, both whether, you know, how they treat their own staff, their employees, but also what they do in their community and also uh, how they work with clients. Um you know, there's there's one brand response story that really t- took the lead, unfortunately, on this, uh, which was the response by the Las Vegas Raiders, which was to uh, – it was just a, a black and white text image that said, I can breathe uh, for 2021. And also this was wildly uh, criticized on social media, you know, including by people like LeBron James, but um, some family members. Of George Floyd kind of stuck stuck up for the team and said, uh, "You know, it was well intended, and they appreciated it." So, um, an interesting response, definitely in the first day of the story, not a really well-regarded one. Uh, but maybe the narrative has turned a little bit on that.
1: Yeah, and that came directly from the owner, didn't it? Who was behind that tweet? So it wasn't like a social media team. Making that statement, I think some people were just pointing out that 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 phrase was one that had been used by the Blue Lives Matter movement, wasn't it? So that maybe they felt it was tainted a little bit um, uh, along the line.
2: Yeah, I I think that's a part of it. And um, and Mark Davis, the owner, he he did, for what it's worth, take responsibility for it and try to explain it. And that's why the team had not uh, had not deleted it. Um, but you can definitely see how it struck people the wrong way.
1: So, Anne, I think you've been counseling clients on this issue for some weeks now. Tell us about how you've approached it.
0: Yes. um, It's funny because I wrote a post on LinkedIn very early this week that asked the question, is your organization ready for the verdict? Because I think it has become increasingly difficult, even for smaller organizations to sit on the sidelines uh, when, when matters such as these are being uh, publicly discussed. But for our larger clients, they intuitively understood they needed to have some sort of response ready, and we were crafting a lot of different messaging documents that were prepared for a number of different scenarios. I mean, what, what does a brand say if it's a hung jury or, or they were to find Derek Chauvin innocent? You know, those become difficult messages to get out there, but we had written a lot of different, uh, drafts, uh, for each different scenario. And fortunately, you know, I think, I think this country got the right verdict and we were able to help a lot of our clients, uh, get out a message of solidarity and support. The other thing I was struck by was how swiftly the conversation on social media shifted from justice to accountability because in the eyes of many this was not justice this was simply accountability which is a first step toward justice but we do have a long way to go don't we
1: well we do and we saw even while the verdict was happening another you know young black girl shot shot dead by by police and um, so I'm not making any judgments on that particular case but we've seen uh uh, other other killings in the last couple of weeks, two or three weeks too. So it's, it's, it's just still a massive issue. And uh, it goes, obviously, this is a very specific incident. And uh, will you be doing more uh, counselling around that as the anniversary of the death of George Floyd comes around? Because I imagine that will be a bit of a, um, you know, a, a, a tipping point as well.
0: Yes, it's funny you asked that, Steve, because in the post, a lot of my friends who work in DE&I, have counseled brands and companies to be alert to a couple of upcoming dates, the anniversary of George Floyd's death, the Tulsa Massacre, which is the 100th anniversary, and Juneteenth. So there are a number of dates looming that, that we think companies need to be especially sensitive to.
1: Yeah, and I think the theme is people want them to be sensitive, but they also want them to... Uh... If they make statements, they want them to actually uh, do what they say and follow up on it and be consistent and make real change, you know, not just pay lip service to a topic. I think that's one of the most important themes we're hearing.
0: Yes, agreed. Absolutely. You've got to walk the walk, not just talk the talk.
1: For sure. Frank, I know you're a big BTS fan and um, this was the topic of our social media story this week. Tell us more
2: yeah uh bts i've been told uh is a very uh popular one you uh, all their band. records mcdonald's uh teamed up with bts uh for um for those um, who do not know friend,
1: just tell us who
2: bts are they're they're a super popular uh k-pop band um and uh, their supporter, they You can actually I, I've been told you can I get a uh, you can be a card carrying member. They will literally send you a card of the, the BTS Army. So um they teamed up with a meal, teamed up with McDonald's to create a meal, and um it's going to launch on May 26th. And it created this funny dynamic on social media in that all of these brands were being nice to McDonald's instead of being mean to them. You know, McDonald's often made the target of fun by other fast food brands and things of that nature. Uh, but they really provoked a positive, uh, positive conversation this time.
1: Good to see. Is BTS big in uh, Philadelphia, Anne? And uh, how much is social media playing a part in your, in what your, the services you offer?
0: Yes, sure. So I actually think this whole BTS uh, situation, as I've always said, leave it to a great social media manager to read the room. These folks know exactly how beloved BTS is, and they did not want to get on the wrong side of that one, even if it meant giving a nod to one of their biggest competitors.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And there was a there was a pretty particularly egregious BTS uh Campaign wasn't there the other week, Frank. That had to be pulled, and rightly so, which uh, was uh, yeah, absolutely was not on point with the the whole all the anti Asian hate crimes that have been happening recently. So yeah, but uh, always interesting interesting to see the latest social media strategies, and that one seemed to work out well for McDonald's. Let's have a quick roundup of the people moves, Frank. Uh, starting with yeah, and the boomerang over there.
2: Once again, it's a very lengthy list of people moves. So. Um... Get your popcorn. So coming back to CVS Health is Catherine Metcalf, uh, is SVP and Chief Communications Officer. She had led communications at CVS uh, in the past uh, before moving over to Bristol-Myers Squibb. Now she's back. Um, and, of course, you have to point out, CVS more than just a pharmacy company now. It's it own CVS pharmacy, of course, but also uh, Aetna Health Insurance. So a very wide-ranging role. Uh, covering a few very different things. Uh, one of our former 40 Under 40 members, Chris Legendello, Uh he is joining World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE as SVP and Head of Global Communications. Um, and he's reporting up to the company's Chief Revenue Officer, Nick Khan. Um, move, here's an interesting one. Bessemer Venture Partners has brought on Shannon Brayton, uh, formerly Shannon Stubo, well known to everybody in Silicon Valley and to all of our readers as its first CMO and partner. She's reporting up to the CFO, Sandy Grippo. Uh, she's starting next month. Well, a lot of people did because she had planned to join Strike, which is a, a payment processing software company in January, but it fell through uh, and she never actually started there. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And she's uh, known well for her time as LinkedIn's CMO. Uh, okay, moving down the list. Vans, the fashion uh, sneaker brand has hired Kristen Hauer as uh global CMO. She moves over from Dollar Shave Club. Uh, in the agency world, Jonathan Haidt at Allison & Partners promoted to global chief operating officer. And the firm has also promoted two of its presidents, Matthew Della Croce uh, and Kathy Planchard. And Clubhouse uh, has hired its first communications lead, which is the former Spotify executive Gray Mudford. He comes on to lead comms. What's interesting here is it was just a month ago they hired their marketing head, Maya Watson, uh, as head of global marketing. She comes from Netflix. So uh, Clubhouse hiring... Uh, hiring folks to run marketing communications from, I, I don't know if you'd call them rival companies, maybe in a way, uh, but from a different audio based company and a different visually based company. So Certainly interesting big- hitting, hires over there.
1: Yeah. Big hitting brands to get people from, for which sure. bodes well for Clubhouse, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. You would think so. You would think so. They're very, they're clearly very bullish on, um, you know, that they're going to have to do, uh, a lot of it, uh, word marketing.
1: And uh, yeah, don't don't forget to check out uh, PR Week and Campaigns show on Clubhouse seven o'clock every Monday. The Markom's Club is that it on the people, Frank?
2: Yes, believe it or not, that that is it. There was only a few this week. All right, just
1: to finish, then a couple of comments on the CVS story. Kim White was uh, a fairly short-lived run as uh, head of comms there, Frank. And uh, so Catherine's come back in, and Kim White was not was only in in role for, uh, was it a year or something like that?
2: Yeah, it's surprising. Um, that's right, surprising both in that aspect. But, you know, always a little surprising when you get a boomerang uh, like that as well. So uh so-
1: and uh, Anne, you had an interesting observation on who Catherine's reporting to at CBS.
0: Yes, Steve, I was struck by the fact that she is reporting in to the executive vice president and chief policy and external affairs officer and general counsel. And I mention this because traditionally we love to see chief communications officers who either have a direct line right into the CEO. Um, or sometimes they're reporting into the CMO. But this is the second or third time I've seen a communications position reporting into general counsel. And I actually think that says something about how enlightened attorneys have become on this issue of reputation management and communications. We work with attorneys who are, you know, they they have the heart of a PR person, they have the ear of a beautiful writer. And I just think, uh, this partnership between communications and legal has strengthened in a way that is benefiting brands, whereas 10 or 15, 20 years ago, we were often at odds.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Although I think it depends on the council, because uh, I think if the legal department is just going to block everything that the comms department wants to do, then that can be that can be counterproductive. And we saw that with United Airlines, you know, in the botched response to the dr dow incident when he was dragged off the plane when the comms department couldn't do what they wanted to do and eventually it, it ended up even worse for united but i think if you have a, a general counsel who um, understands the value of communications and i think after the last 12 months the c-suite ceo and general counsel does much more Then, then yeah for sure i agree so uh, yeah it'll be interesting to see how and obviously a very regulated market in which cbs plays so be interesting to see how that one pans out. But listen, thank you, Ann, for being our guest. Really enjoyed chatting to you and uh, finding out more about Buchanan PR and the PRGN and uh, wishing you a a good year in 2021 and uh, a great reunion in uh, Phoenix.
0: Thanks, Steve. I really enjoyed being here and I would just echo what you said. Everyone should read um, this latest issue. Frank, you did a wonderful job. I really enjoyed drilling down on some of those articles.
1: Amen to that. Thank you, Frank. Always a pleasure.
2: Thanks for having me on. Um, All
1: right. Don't forget the PR Week Global Awards. They're on uh, May 20th. It'll be a um, virtual event uh, throughout the day. Uh, spanning the three uh, corners of the globe, but it would be great to find out our global winners. The Brand Film Awards, they're going to be another virtual event on the 25th of May. Got some great stuff lined up for that show, so do check that one out. If you want to nominate a rising star in the industry, you have until the 13th of May to put someone into our 40 Under 40 programme. Frank was mentioning one of our former honorees, Chris Gentil, just getting a new job. The Hall of Fame, our celebration of women in PR and women to watch up and coming uh, PR pros is on the 10th of June, again, a virtual event. And then PR Decoded, our big annual conference and the Purpose Awards will be uh, from the 12th to the 15th of October with the Purpose Awards on the 13th. So Um, And we'll be launching the Purpose Awards, the call for entries next week. So look out for that. We'll be announcing our chair of jury as well. So lots of great stuff happening with the brand, but that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week.
2: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.